Midnight in Karachi with Mahavish Murad on Tour.com. This is Midnight in Karachi and joining me today is writer Laura Lamb, whose latest novel, False Hearts, is touted as Orphan Black meets Inception. And it is a thrilling ride. Her earlier novels in the Micah Gray series, with the first pantomime from 2013 being a Scottish book trust Teen Book of the Month, and it also won the Bisexual Book Award and was listed as a top 10 title for the American Library Association list. Laura, welcome to Midnight in Karate. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, False Hearts has been out for a little while now. How are you feeling about it now that it's out in the world, now that it's wild and it's free? Is it everything <laughs> you wanted it to be, you know, when you started writing it? I think so. When I was writing it, I honestly wasn't sure if it was going to sell because it felt so different from my other work. So the fact that it's it's sold and it's out there and people seem to be enjoying it is really wonderful. Did you have an elevator pitch for the book? Uh, kind of. I do, I do love the Orphan Black Meets Inception, but essentially the book is about conjoined twins, Tama and Tyla, who were raised conjoined at the chest in a secluded cult outside of San Francisco. And when their shared heart begins to fail, they escape and are separated and given mechanical hearts. Ten years later, one twin is accused of murder and the other twin has to take on her identity, go undercover, uh, figure out what she may have done and save her life. So now what's it really about? <laughs> uh, it's essentially about the relationships between Tama and Tyla and how they have drifted apart over the past 10 years since they've been separated and how through these secrets and difficulties can they find each other again? Do they want to find each other again? So it is a thriller with brain hacking and cults and uh, the mob and dream drugs and all of that. But at the end of the day, it is really about the relationship between the twins. Now, I'm, I'm curious about your research, what it was like for False Hearts, from conjoined twins, you know, psychoactive drugs, to lucid dreaming, cults, mafias, undercover police work. That is a large landscape to cover. Um, yes. How did you go about that? <laughs> I did a lot of research. So I started with conjoined twins because I had the idea after reading an io9 article about Violet and Daisy Hilton, who were conjoined at the hip, and they were very big in the vaudeville era. And I started, the initial idea was what would happen if your literal other half kept a secret from you and how far would you go? So I wasn't really sure what setting it was going to be, what genre even, aside from vaguely thrillery. So I, I started by researching a lot about conjoined twins, um, both modern and historical, and a lot of interviews about what it was like for them to be conjoined, how the medical um, industry treats them. Like there's a lot of emphasis on surgery and separation even when it may not actually be the best for the twins involved and then from there I started thinking okay if we're gonna put it in the future so that they can actually be separate and fitted with mechanical hearts um, I need to research that because at the moment our prosthetic hearts aren't anywhere near what they're like in the book so it's I started realizing it was going to be a near future and from then the research just spiraled out I started looking at future tech ideas future architecture ideas um, the idea of a mob, I had to do a lot of research about that. Um, basically, every aspect just resulted in more research and more research. Um, and most of what I researched never actually made it into the novel. But I feel like it gave me a good basis to postulate my own future. I was going to ask, when you look up so much stuff about so many things, at which point do you realize, okay, I have to stop researching and start making stuff up? 
Yeah, it can be a really good form of procrastination. It can be like, oh, look, I've worked for eight hours today, but I have actually written no words. It was just a lot of falling down the Wikipedia wormhole. Uh, so what I do is I do a lot of research, but I don't normally take notes. So that way it kind of all just percolates in my head um, without me feeling like I really need to put this particular interesting shiny fact into the book. So it kind of just gives me a basis. And I try... I try to research until I've got the voices of the characters in my head and a basis of a plot enough to get going. And then I start writing and then I research more as I need to along the way. So I try and break it up so I'm not just researching nonstop for months and not using it as a way to procrastinate too, bu too much. Now, the title of the book, False Hearts, I assume has something to do with the Macbeth line, false face must hide, but false heart doth know. And what's the relevance or connection to Macbeth for you? Was there something in particular that struck? Uh, not a, I don't think there's a super clear connection with Macbeth, um, just some thematics. Like there's a lot of, you know, Hamlet's not quite trusting things around him and there's the ghost um, of the past kind of haunting him. So I think some of that, came in thematically um but mostly i really wanted a quote that would have false hearts in it so i could put it at the start of the yeah. book <laughs> was My that cunning plan. yeah was that was the title something you came up with much earlier or did it come about later i came up with it pretty earlier for a while i was just calling it false heart singular and then later i made it plural um but i think it was pretty much always called false hearts which is pretty unusual for me because i i tend to have book titles either right at the very start or right at the very end. Um, so I was glad that this one came pretty easily. And then the follow-up, Shattered Minds, I have another quote from Voltaire this time, and I've got some ideas for two other thrillers, and they all have adjective body part in the plural. <laughs> so this is going to be a theme. It's going to be a pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got an idea for four, but I only have a contract for two, so we'll see what happens. So now, before False Hearts, I know you had a bit of a turbulent time with the Micah Gray series when the publisher shut up shop, essentially. Um, that mm -hmm. must have been really devastating. How do you pick up from that and recover enough to keep on writing new stuff as well as balancing the old stuff and trying to figure out how to release that? Because I know you were doing that as well. Yeah, it was the early bit of 2014 was a very difficult time for me. So I'd had Pantomime out and it had good reviews, but the sales had been you know, all right, but not that great. And then the sequel came out, and pretty much right after the sequel came out, I was told that they weren't going to commission the third book, and I was devastated. Um, but I didn't really realize until June or May or so that a, a big reason why they didn't take a punt on the third book was because the whole publishing imprint, Strange Chemistry, went under. But they obviously couldn't really tell me that, or they maybe didn't know that that was definitively happening. Um, but I was really devastated because you, you think about getting the agent and the book deal and seeing your book on the shelves, and that's a dream. And you don't really think about everything kind of going belly up after that. So it was really hard to recover from, and I, was, I felt pretty sad, and I was licking my wounds. But I already had the idea for False Hearts, so I decided, okay, I'm going to throw everything I possibly can into False Hearts. And it, it feels very different. It's different genre. It's for a different age group. And I'm just going to give this my all. And I had so much fun writing that book that it was kind of my lifeline book and helped me realize that, yes, things are never quite as smooth as you hope in publishing. But I do really love this novel thing, novel writing thing enough that I'm going to keep doing it no matter what. And it ended up to just be the beginning of my career rather than the end that I thought. So that was pretty great. Um, because as a result, uh, Strange Chemistry went belly up and then I got the rights back. 
And so in a happy turn of events, Pan McMillan bought False Hearts and Shattered Minds, and now they've bought Pantomime, Shadowplay, and Masquerade. So they're now all under one publishing house, and it's, you know, happily ever after, hopefully. Yeah, so, it, I mean, you know, it ended well, as it were. It did. It ended much better than I thought it was. Um, and I was going to possibly self-publish it. I was researching, putting up a Kickstarter, um, but... Um, I was glad in the end that it went to Pan Macmillan because they're doing a great job re-releasing them. Now, talk to me a little bit about your writing process because just now before we started recording, you were telling me about, you know, you work with a group sometimes that gets you out mm-hmm. of the house and gets you writing. Everyone's writing process is different. So what's yours like and, you know, which aspect of the craft do you focus on more? Do the characters come to you first or the premise of the story into which they fit or has it been different for each of your books? Uh, It does change from book to book, but so far I pretty much always start with a character in a specific scenario. So with Pantomime, I was thinking, okay, I want a character who doesn't fit in the gender binary. So they are intersex and gender fluid and bisexual. And so they were raised as a girl and they run away and join the circus as a boy. What would that be like? And that was the starting off point for that book. False Hearts was what would happen if your literal other half had a secret from you. And all my all my books seem to start with the characters, and um, then I build up around it. So usually I do the characters, a bit of the plot, then the world, then the rest of the plot. And I do an outline and figure everything out and kind of take my time at the beginning because I find that means less deleting and rewriting things later on. And then uh, once I've got that outlined and I've researched and I feel ready to begin, I try and write pretty consistently every day. At the moment, I'm a full-time writer, uh, which is pretty great. So I tend to write at home. Um, I write with friends at cafes a lot. I write at my own in cafes a lot. I write on trains. I write on planes. I write on auto- in the backs of automobiles, basically wherever I can. Um, and I don't really have a superset schedule. That's something I'm kind of trying to work my way towards for my sanity, so I'm not working until 11 p.m. every night and things like that. Um, but, yeah, and sometimes my process does change. Like, False Hearts, I didn't plan out as extensively as I did the follow-up Shattered Minds because the follow-up had three different viewpoints and a, a difficult plot that I really needed to understand before I got started. I know at some point you went back to university as well, didn't you? I did, yes, last yeah. year. Because <laughs> that, like, that sounds like madness. Everyone, How did you do everyone all Everyone was very confused when I went and did a master's and I was like yes I already have three books under or five books under contract and they were a bit like why are you here um and but I did the master's because long term I'd like to get into teaching and I also figured you know you can always learn new skills so I did that and it was very difficult because at the beginning of the master's I was still working full-time and then um I had lots of book deadlines to do and then in the middle of it my father died unfortunately and I had to fly home so in retrospect maybe that wasn't the best year to do that master's but hey I did it and I did enjoy it for the most part. Now I recall reading in your bio online that your parents were both Haight-Ashbury hippies who encouraged you to do all manner of creative things when you were growing up. Of all those Mm -hmm. things, of all the ways that kids have to tell stories, do you think you were always going to end up with words, telling stories with words? Possibly, but possibly not. Both my parents went to art school and did more painting and drawing and fine art in that respect. So for a long time, I wanted to be an artist. I also, at various points, wanted to be a ballerina. I wanted to play a gold-plated flute in the San Francisco Symphony. That was a very specific dream I had. Um, 
but then I wasn't as uh, diligent about practicing my scales as I probably should have been. So, um, yeah, but they, they were always like, whatever you want to do, you can do it. They made sure I always had access to books. We went to the library all the time. They read to me before bedtime, would read the same books and discuss it. So they were always very pro-creativity in any form. And they've always been really supportive of my writing career, which has been great. All right, now pick a twin you'd go to if you did something really awful. Like a fictional twin? One of the twins that you created. Oh, right. I would probably go to, t- hmm, I don't know. Norm, my first instinct is to say Tyla, but then over the course of the novel, Tama does become pretty badass. So maybe I'd go for Tama because I think she'd be a little more like cool-headed in the face of danger. And if you had to join a cult, like any of the cults that we've known about in history, if you just had to, which one would it be? Ah, I don't know. None of the ones I researched particularly, like, jumped at it. Somewhere I'd like to spend time. No, though I think, like, in terms of cults, there are some aspects of Mammoth's Hearth which are, you know, not too bad. Like, I think if they'd had a better leader and not been quite so isolationist and made it more of, like, an open-door commune, then I think it actually could be quite a cool place to hang out. I recently went camping up in Findhorn in Scotland, um, and we camped in a hippie commune where, like, people there. there's an aspect where people live there, and then there's, like, a hobbit house meditation room and, you know, that's self-sufficient with its own, um, with its own energy and it's very super, super hippie. And so I think I wouldn't mind living there, but it's not really a cult. It's just a place where there's a bunch of hippies. But you didn't answer the question. No, I didn't. It was a non-answer. <laughs> I don't know. My answer is I don't know. <laughs> All right, so there's more in the world of false hearts, Shattered Minds, as you were, as you were saying. Can you tell us anything about that? Uh, Shattered Minds is the follow-up, uh, and it's another standalone set in the same world. So you could read them out of order if you wanted. Uh, but instead of being set in San Francisco, it's set in Los Angeles, and it basically stars a female Dexter with a drug problem. So she is someone who used to be one of the best biohackers in California, and she quit the company Sudis, which you come across vaguely in False Hearts. And she becomes deliberately addicted to the dream drug zeal. So she's only killing people in her imagination versus real life. And it's messing, up, it's messing her up a lot physically. And she's basically going to be, it's kind of her own method of suicide. But she's kind of interrupted when a former colleague sends her a bunch of encrypted information to take down Sudis. And she has to come back into the real world and partner up with some hackers and return to life and try not to kill everybody in the process. Well, that sounds exciting. And like you had to do a whole lot of, uh, you know, a whole other kind of research there. Yeah, I don't know much about hacking or I didn't before I started this book. So in retrospect, I don't know why I wrote a hacker thriller, but um, I was lucky in that my cousin is kind of a white hat hacker and owns an information security company. So he's kind of my tech advisor, which has proved very helpful. So what are you working on now? Is Shattered Minds what's happening next? Do you have many other, um, many other sort of buys in the oven? I have so many book ideas. Um, it's kind of just figuring out what order to write them in. But I just turned in on Monday Masquerade, which is the third Micah Gray book. Um, and I had a pretty tight deadline to that. And then I think pretty soon I'm going to get line edits for Shattered Minds because I've already done the structural edit. And then I've got an idea for my next thriller and I've kind of made a start on it, but I'm sort of holding off until I find out if it's going to have a contract or not. <laughs> and I've got loads of other ideas as well. 
So tell me now, what did you grow up reading? We're talking about all the stuff that you have to research and all these things you had to look up, but there must be stuff that you were familiar with uh, in terms of, uh, I don't mean in terms of real life, but in terms of, you know, either fantasy or science fiction, whatever it was that you grew up reading with, worlds that you were more familiar with. I guess I read, when I was quite young, I read a lot of Tamora Pierce, who I still have a soft spot for, because it was a lot of strong women doing awesome things with magic. And then I really liked Anne McCaffrey, because it was a sci-fi alien world, but the dragons were aliens, and I just thought that was really cool. And uh, I read a lot of Mercedes Lackey as well, and then when I got a bit older, I went into Robin Hobbs' world, and still haven't left. She's hands down my favorite writer. And I started getting into cyberpunk as well. So I read William Gibson and, and things like that. So I've always been pretty, pretty enmeshed in sci-fi and fantasy. And I, I still read a bunch as much as I can today. Is there anything you've read recently that you're really excited about? Yes, I keep, like, I keep recommending this book to absolutely everybody I come across. But I absolutely adored The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by right. Becky Chambers. Right. I just found it delightful and really comforting. And I just fell in love with all of the characters. And I think it's going to be a book I reread a lot over the next few years. Whenever I need like a comfort read, I'm going to go for that. And it's done really well, hasn't it? It's been on a book. It has. Of, uh, yeah. I think it's a total word of mouth book because I've definitely gotten at least five people to buy it. Um, after, you know, I wouldn't shut up about it, basically. Yeah. But it's interesting because it was originally self-published. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we and she kickstarted it. Right. And we were talking a little earlier about how you consider that. So where do you stand I on, on um, you know, self-publishing as opposed to traditional publishing? How do you feel about it now that you almost did one and are very much enmeshed in the other? I think it's very much a valid way to get your work out there and I would consider it for the right project. I have self-published some short stories and novellas um, but since that's kind of a smaller area of the market they've done okay. I've made a small profit but um, you know they buy a couple of lattes a month and those are the vestigial tales which tie into the Micah Gray book. But yeah I would definitely like say there's a book idea I really loved and I'd probably tried to traditional publishing first but if for whatever reason they didn't want it and I still believed in the project I think I would definitely self-publish it and it's exciting to have so many avenues to explore and there's serialization and more collaborative writing um, and I think it's quite and the novella is really taking off a lot with e-readers like tour.com's new line and I think it's quite an exciting time in publishing even if, as things are quite uncertain as well long term. All right now tell me if there was one book that you would have everyone in the world read one just one book what would it be? Other than yours. <laughs> Obviously mine. But, right. uh, oh, that's a hard one. Does it, it have to be a stand? No, I guess not. It's something that you love so much that you think everyone could really, really, you know, benefit from in some way or love in some way or their lives would change drastically if they're at this. <laughs> There's always I think one I'll book go, that we all feel yeah, strongly about, you know. I think I'll go for Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb because then you are drawn into her world and you won't be able to escape. Well, that's the and I think. I know, <laughs> but no, like, I think those are the books that have had the biggest impact of on my life. Like, they're one of the ones that got me into writing. I met my husband through her book and moved 6,000 miles because of her book. Um, she was nice and blurbed my first book, Pantomime, and um, she's also really lovely. So I've got a lot of time for Robin Hobb, and whenever a new book of hers comes out, I stop everything and just read until I finished. You and your husband have an interesting story, don't you? We do. It's really cute and sort of strange. But uh, he found my online blog in 2003, 
2002, one of those years. And uh, I had a list of my favorite authors, and he was very offended that I put Robin Hobb above Terry Goodkind, which in retrospect, maybe he should have been. Sorry, Terry Goodkind. But uh, anyway, he started talking to me about books, and I was very excited that he read the same things I did. And I fell for him pretty quickly. And um, then I think a little over a year later, he flew out to meet me, and we had a long-distance relationship back and forth for five years. And then I moved to Scotland after I finished university, and I've been here for almost seven years now. And neither of you turned out to be a crazy person. No, no, he was, but but back then, meeting on the internet was just not done, and right, everyone exactly. was very that's, confused. That's, that's exactly everyone, what I meant. That's yeah, exactly what everyone I meant was so confused, and people were like, "He's going to be an old man or he's with like an axe." Like, that's yeah, it. yes, an, an axe murderer. murderer. That's it. Yes, because now I, you don't if think I had so a, anymore. No, because now it's like you literally summon strangers from the internet on Uber and get into their car and drive yes, around. I did that just so today. many. People, <laughs> yeah, they don't have Uber in Aberdeen. It's so annoying. Um, but yeah, and now internet dating is completely normal. But back then, um, it was very strange that we met on the inter- internet. No one thought it would work out, including, I think, both sets of our parents. But here we are 12 years later. So. Wow, 12 years. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm guessing yep. the parents have come around now. They have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, we also met through um, both starting really awful books when we were teenagers as well and his is maybe salvageable but mine is definitely not it had cat people and fairies oh fantastic so it's just gonna burn someday you're just gonna you know yeah i I can't find it i don't even know if i still have it but um i remember the first line was the very dramatic the sunset was as red as blood Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm scared to ask how old you were when you wrote this. I was 15. All 15. right, that's forgivable. Yeah. Also, now that yeah. you said this, now you said this out, you know, it's going to go out on the internet, out in the world. You don't Someone's know where it gonna is. Someone's going to find it. Someone yeah. is going to find it. They're going to figure it out. Some <laughs> hacker somewhere is going to get online. They're going to find it. So, you know, you, you be careful now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me today. Mm-hmm.